wonderful, wonderful God we serve in Jesus' name. You can be seated tonight. Thank you for being here on a Wednesday night. We are trying out a new microphone in Jesus' name, so it is Sister Carnahan's responsibility to adjust volume levels if we should need that tonight. So we will see what God is going to do with that. And if you haven't noticed in the room, there is a special guest here tonight, a lovely young lady, Miss Jessalyn Tackett from Arkansas, who is here with us. She came just for the services, believe it or not. Uh, she heard our church was a great church, and so she's here uh, to participate in the services and be with us tonight in Jesus' name. So we're excited. She will be here after service. I really kind of like her a lot. And so um, you all will have a chance to be able to speak to her after services and things like that. And we're going to believe God for some good things in the midst of that. In Jesus' name as well. I do have filler words and she knows them. And it's kind of funny because she'll point them out. So anyway, our April events that we have going on next week is our week of prayer and fasting. I don't know if you knew that, but that will start this Sunday. Again, we encourage everybody to participate in some form or some fashion of that prayer and fasting. Whether you can fast the entire week or just a few days out of that, a few meals, uh, you're certainly welcome to do so. And then we will conclude that Saturday night with prayer here at the church from 5 to 6. Again, we encourage everybody to be a part of that prayer meeting. Um, whether you can make it for just five minutes or the entire hour, uh, please be here. If you have children, show and represent to them that you want to be passionate about prayer and having God inside of your, your household. And this is a perfect opportunity to do that and to teach them how to pray, to show them these atmospheres that they can be involved in and learn about God and who he is. And so we desire uh, for that to happen. That's part of why we have that week of prayer and fasting and God is doing things uh, in this community and we have seen some incredible changes um, if you haven't noticed on Sundays it's been packed in here uh, it's been incredible we had a baptism recently uh, four people filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost I think uh, just an incredible presence of things that God is doing and so we want to keep that going and the way we do that is by focusing on God's will and what he desires for us to do uh, it's not by our our power not by our might but it's by his that we want to focus on those things in Jesus' name. So not only that, but then this uh, Sunday night is the ladies' meeting at 5.30. So if you are a lady, uh, you can come and participate in that, and it will be a wonderful time. Uh, if you have any questions, you can see Sister Carnahan in Jesus' name. So uh, those are the events that we have going on. So we, yes. Okay. Okay. So for... For the people on the live stream, the missionary service is canceled. Okay. I had to be in St. Louis. Got bumped out of the lineup. All right. That's okay. That's okay. I am thankful for how much uh, this church supports missions. Um, if you see the accounts and what this church gives to missions, um, it doesn't make sense. But we are thankful for what, uh, what God can do to pour into that. And as a result of you all blessing missionaries and things around the world, we see the blessings that pour into our own church as well. So thank you for giving. Thank you for participating in that and spreading the gospel around the world. We want to be a united church, and we want to spread the gospel around the world. And this is how we can do that, by uh, giving financially and also giving in our, our spiritual time as well, prayer and those things for the missionaries that are around us in Jesus' name. So, wonderful things that are going on, incredible things in Jesus' name. Tonight, we are going to continue our 
series called Marked. And if you remember last week, we said that we were marked for a particular cause. Does anybody remember what we were marked for last week? Salvation. I heard people whisper it. You didn't yell it. Let's yell it together. Salvation. Salvation. We are marked for salvation. And if you were here last Wednesday, you kind of began to understand that salvation is something that is meant for every single human being inside of this world. That God has marked us as human beings to stand up and to begin to, to uh, form a relationship with him. And as a result, we have some incredible benefits that come as a result of that. One of those being that we become marked for who he is. We desire to be people of his kingdom and people of, of uh, his nature. And so tonight we're going to continue that forward, being, uh, speaking about being marked for his calling, marked for calling upon our lives. And whether we want to admit it or not, God has a calling upon every single person's life uh, that is inside of the apostolic church. He desires for people to serve him and serve him in various ways. Some of those ways are standing behind a platform like this and other ways are kind of small and maybe seem insignificant that you may not get recognition from other people. But it's still a calling that God has called us to. And another important calling that God has called us to is the calling of salvation, that he has said everybody is called to be saved inside of this world. We're called to worship him. We're called to uh, pray to him in so many different fashions. So we have callings upon our lives and things that God wants to do uh, with us and in the midst of our families and our households in Jesus' name. So that is what we're going to talk about tonight. Some leaders that did it right and some other leaders that may have did it wrong and kind of look at a few uh, different characters as a result in Jesus' name. So our scripture tonight, Isaiah 6, 5 through 8. Does somebody want to read this out loud, the first scripture? Shout it out. Brother Kerry? You'll have to get there. All right. Do you want to start us out, bro? We'll let you get the next one, bro. How about that? Continue here. Then flew one of the seraphim yep. unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. Yep. Sorry, that's my job. And he said it upon my oh, and he laid it upon my lips, my mouth, and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Yes. Amen. Who all has heard that scripture, that quote, that last, uh, last little bit there? Here I am, God, send me. That it's a passion, it's a desire that begins to rise up inside of our lives. So let me introduce this to you by reading you uh, this introductory paragraph. It says, Paul's letters to the Corinthians seem to be his most personal, particularly 2 Corinthians. Paul shared a close relationship with the Corinthians. And after all, Paul was the founder of the Corinthian church. However, this close relationship became troubled. The Corinthian church suffered numerous problems, lawsuits within the church, sexual immorality, abuse of spiritual gifts, the wealthy members dominating communion and excluding the poor. Perhaps the most painful to Paul was the fact that some of the Corinthian church had rejected his leadership. Thus, Paul was led to write to them again 
And in 2 Corinthians 2 and 4, Paul referred to the letter written out of much affliction and anguish of heart, accompanied by many tears, so the Corinthians might know the love he had toward them. Scholars believe this tearful letter had been lost. Paul wrote this letter because the letters we find in 1 Corinthians had proven ineffective. In 2 Corinthians, Paul's tearful letter produced repentance, and he wrote to them in a more compassionate tone, indicative of a pastor. In 2 Corinthians, Paul provided one of the most excellent metaphors for pastoral ministry. Paul referred to himself and his fellow laborers as earthen vessels or clay pots, which contain treasure. This treasure is light, but not just any light. Paul said this light is the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of of God. This light which is the gospel is not only evident in what we do or how we speak, but it is within us at the core of who we are. When people look within the heart of a Christian, they see the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul wished for the Corinthians to see this light behind the words that he wrote, the tears that he cried, and the love that burned within him. I think if you have ever read the books of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, you can see his passion and his desire to see people succeed and move forward. His desire to speak truths to these people that weren't necessarily something that were easy to receive. But these are truths that we're going to begin to look at here tonight and maybe how we need to receive them so that we can fulfill the calling that God has upon our lives. So to introduce this again, I want to begin to speak a little bit about there are times of political uh, turmoil inside of a nation. And, and sometimes when we have these turmoils inside of nations, they can make citizens absolutely uneasy. For example, if you look at what our current country is going through, it goes beyond just the idea of Democrats and Republicans and these different uh, nationalities and things like that that begin to, to come together and have fights with one another. It becomes something that is, is uneasy for citizens when they begin to see their leaders fighting and going back and forth on small tasks and, and simple things there. I, I think back to um, just a, a few hundred years ago when history shows us that even during that time, the political parties were hitting heads and going back and forth with one another about simple things. They were accusing one another of, of silly things just to get somebody elected into a position that they desired to have that, that person inside of that position. But the terrible thing about that is just like today, the newspapers began to produce that and they began to send out all of these ideas and these thoughts on social media and people began to create rumors and all of these thoughts behind the scenes and this began to make citizens uneasy. But not only that, inside of nations can, can these uh, ideas of politicalness begin to, to change our thoughts and, and make us uneasy, but also the idea of war. For example, the idea of, of the bombing of Pearl Harbor in 1941, the assassination of the United States President John F. Kennedy, the resignation of the United States President Richard Nixon, and the 9-11 terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon are some examples of turmoil inside of nations, things that can begin to cause people to become uneasy. I know recently, even as far as North Korea threatening to send missiles to our country, it began to make people uneasy inside of our nation. The idea of COVID began to make people uneasy inside of our nation of how are we going to handle this and how are we going to begin to take on this idea. So this brings us into the scriptures that we are speaking about tonight. It says, The opening of Isaiah 6 informs readers of Judah's political climate by nothing that Judah had suffered, a national tragedy. Their king, 
King Uzziah had died. And for them, this was like these national tragedies that we had spoken about just a couple seconds prior to this, that, that it was a tragedy that began to affect this nation that they were in the midst of. And unlike elected leaders, kings are people who serve for their lives. And so for a king, King Uzziah, to die, it had a drastic effect upon this nation because now they no longer had their leader that they had had for so many years prior to this. And what were they going to do in the midst of this, this time and, and the, the, these ideas here? And so we can see that it says there, Uzziah became a king at the age of just 16 and he ruled for 52 years. Think about having a president of the United States for 52 years leading this nation. It would be absolutely unheard of. We, we have it in our constitution that our presidents can only serve for a term of eight years if, if, if they get elected a second time. And even that to some of us seems like a long time where we're thinking, I can't wait till the next president gets elected and begins to change things about. But for this nation here, you see that King Uzziah had served for 52 years. For some of us, we aren't even that age yet. We wouldn't even understand what it would be like to be alive for 52 years under the reign of one person. And so Uzziah, the reason he was causing this turmoil in the country from dying is that we see that he was a relatively good king, that he had increased national security by fortifying the region around them and by removing certain enemies that were coming against this nation of Judah. Judah's enemies may have seen Uzziah's death as an opportune time to attack the nation, magnifying the fear that the Israelites may have had at this particular point. They were worried that their king of 52 years who had held these other nations back was now dead. So they were now open to an attack. They were now open to people coming in and trying to sway what might happen in the future of their nation. You can begin to understand the concern that they had in the midst of this time. We also see that Uzziah was beginning to do things that were outside of his grasp. Although he did good things, he also did some things that were not correct according to scripture that he exceeded the reach of his grasp. If you know about this king, you see that it was not enough for him to be a king, but he also desired to be a priest. Something that the Old Testament forbid to happen, that the king be the king and the priest as well. And so one day Uzziah decided himself to make an offering of incense in the temple, something that the priest should have only been able to do at that particular time. But Uzziah stepped over the line and began to do something that was contrary to the word of God. And these priests spoke to Uzziah about this and told him, man, what you have done is wrong. And ultimately what happened as a result of this is that Uzziah's forehead began to break out with leprosy. I don't know about you all, but I think that that would be pretty embarrassing to walk around with leprosy on your forehead saying, I have messed up so bad in the kingdom of God that I now have leprosy on my forehead implanted there. It's quite crazy what began to happen with Uzziah. It says that he lived out the rest of his reign in seclusion and he slept with his father's but he was buried in a separate place from where his fathers were buried. No doubt the tragic legacy of Uzziah weighed heavy in the minds of the Israelites as they memorialized him. During this tumultuous time, when the remembrance of Uzziah's shameful sin mingled with fear of foreign attack and political uncertainty, we see that Uzziah saw the Lord, Isaiah saw the Lord on the throne in Judah's temple. And this brings us to this vision that we have here tonight. I'm sorry for giving such a long story 
in an introduction here tonight, but I, I wanted to relay the significance of what is going on during this time when Isaiah began to see the, this, this scripture that we had read about. So let's talk about tonight this vision that Isaiah had inside of this chapter here. What was God speaking to him about and what was going to happen inside of this nation that he was living in the midst of? There are three things that are apparent inside of this, and I don't believe they're particularly in your notes there tonight, but you can write them down or jot them down if you would want to. Inside of Isaiah's vision, the first thing that we begin to see here is that the vision was set in what Isaiah called the temple. It appears to refer to Judah's temple that was constructed by Solomon. And this temple was central to Judah's identity, and it was their national treasure. The place that they would go to connect with God. The place that they would go to, to begin to commune with one another and the church members. It's like coming to church here tonight. It was the most sacred place in all of Judah, and it was the place where God would meet with his people the place where they could go and connect with God. I'm thankful that before service tonight, we were able to come in here and pray and get down on our knees and connect with God and feel his wonderful presence inside of this room, that we didn't just necessarily have to go to a temple in order to feel the presence of God. But at this time, the, the greatest way that you could feel the full presence of God was to be in the temple, to be in the place where the priests were, were meant to be doing things for the kingdom of God. And so this, this was a sacred place and so for Isaiah, the first thing that we see in his vision is that this occurred inside of the temple. And it was reassuring for Isaiah to observe God in the temple during a national tragedy. That even in the midst of all these other things going on, the king dying and all these particular things happening, Isaiah had to be reassuring for him to see God in the place where he knew that he could find God. The place where he knew God was dwelling, he understood he could go there to find God. God in the midst of this tragedy. So let me ask you a question tonight. Why do you think it is important for us to keep our focus on God when things around us seem to be in utter chaos? Why do you think that might be a good thing? He can help us through those troubling times. He can help us through those troubling times. Amen. Absolutely. He's our strength, a strong tower, foundation. He can point us the right direction. Absolutely. He's the same. Yeah, yesterday, today, and forever. We know what he tells us today. He's not going to change that tomorrow. It's going to be just the, the same scripture that we had today. We can focus on that. I'm thankful. Anybody else? I, I think it's pretty apparent to us in understanding that we need to focus on God in times of tragedy. Uh, for those of us, I think everybody in this room, we recently just went through COVID, and I, I think it, we saw the importance of when our church doors were closed, how important it was to focus in on God and, and realize that we needed to have a foundation inside of our lives so strong that even in the midst of disease and not being able to come to church here, we could invite God into our households and have his presence there and feel his power so that we could go out and still affect the world around us in Jesus' name instead of sitting there and maybe being upset about what is going on around us. So it's important to have a foundation upon God. And so for Isaiah, at this particular point, him seeing God inside of the seeing this vision in the temple was significant for the fact that he was getting he was seeing reassurance that he knew he had inside of his life 
And, and it's similar to the fact that if we go home and we are willing to connect with God on a daily basis, if we're willing to lead our families in a connection with God on a daily basis, then when national tragedy begins to come, we don't have to worry about what we're going to do because we can trust and have reassurance that God will be there just as strong as he was the, the day that there was nothing going on. And, and he's going to move just as powerfully in Jesus' name. And so that is exactly what we began to see during COVID, that those who had been significant inside of those things, they, they just pushed forward, knowing and trusting that God was there in the midst of that time. But some other people might have said, man, I need to step up my relationship with God because it wasn't where I wanted it to be at in Jesus' name. And I think that for us as apostolics, we must take this idea of COVID and begin to say, I want to challenge my future or change what I'm going to do in my future as a result of what happened during COVID. That right now, I'm going to begin to pick up my prayer life so that if something like that begins to happen again, I will be able to take it head on knowing that God is standing by my side. Who knows what could happen inside of our nation at particular times? Who knows what could happen if they begin to shut down churches and communities that begin to serve God? We spoke about that last week, that there is a time and a place where we might begin to face more opposition than we ever have before. But it is up to us as apostolics to say, I know God. I have seen him inside of the temple. I have seen him inside of the church. I have met him before. I have felt his presence. I have spoken in tongues. I have danced in his presence. I know who he is. And as a result, these things are not going to intimidate me or shut me down when these challenging times begin to take place in Jesus' name. And so the second thing that we see inside of Isaiah's vision, I guess this is, uh, sorry, I skipped a point, but, but the second thing that we see in Isaiah's vision is that he saw a throne inside of this temple. Solomon's temple had no such throne inside of it. Uzziah's throne was not positioned in the temple, but was supposed to be positioned in a separate place in the physical or a separate palace. And as a result, the religious authority and the governing authority were kept separate in Judah, kind of like today, trying to separate the, the religion from schools and all that sort of thing. But in this vision, Isaiah saw a throne, a symbol of governing authority inside of the temple, which was the location of religious authority. This is indicative of two things, one being that Uzziah was erroneously sought power that belongs to God alone. That he was trying to seek things that he was not meant to touch or do, but Uzziah wanted that power in that place. The other idea that we get from this is that God is not only, he does not only preside over their government, but he also presides over their faith in this particular aspect. We see that God is trying to insert himself inside of this vision and showing that he is the God of all. That just because we go someplace or we're in a different environment, it doesn't mean that God isn't the God of us. It doesn't mean that he isn't our God walking by our side, willing to do miracles inside of those places. But God is showing and demonstrating that every government on earth is only alive and well because he has allowed it to be alive and well. That he is, he is allowing things to happen in the lives around us because he has allowed those things to happen. And so it's a shame that we begin to look at Uzziah and see that he had this position of this kingship that he should have used to influence the people to draw closer to God, yet he was using it to influence himself to gain power that God did not want him to have in the first place in Jesus' name. 
And so today we can begin to look and relate that to our lives that when we pray in the Spirit and in the Holy Ghost, it is essential because we begin to say, God, it's not by my power or not by my might, but it is by yours, God. I want to pray your will, Jesus. I want to have your desires inside of my heart to begin to move things and realms around me. God, I want to have your passion for the lost and the people who are around me. We begin to say, God, it's not by what I can do. It's not by how strong I am or a power or an ability or the money that I have brought to the table but God it is all from you and we can give God glory and praise and thanks for that but Uzziah made the mistake that he began to say uh, my own strength just I want to increase it I want to be God I want to be what he can do and so the third and final observation that we get from this vision this observation of significance featured in the setting of this vision it will be discussed at the conclusion of this lesson. But think about how extraordinary this vision was. Seeing six-winged seraphim angels that were above the throne singing. I know there's been times in this church where we're praising and we're dancing, and you can feel the angels of God inside of this place watching and observing and being a part of the service that are here it's incredible when you begin to see the atmospheres and the realms around us that are changing just by us standing here and worshiping and proclaiming God. But in this vision, Isaiah began to see this. And these angels were glorifying God, singing praises to him so loudly that the doorposts began to shake. And they begin to tremble inside of this atmosphere. So you can understand Isaiah thinking that there might be a collapse of this building at this particular time because as we read in the scripture, the angels are singing and the doorposts are beginning to vibrate and he doesn't know what God is doing. He's thinking maybe these people have messed up so terribly bad that the temple is going to collapse and these things are just going to be taken away. And so Isaiah's interpretation of this event was that he and his people were teetering on the precipice of God's wrath, that they were right on the edge of God coming down and destroying everything that they were. Isaiah was worried as a prophet that what they had done in their past was going to destroy everything that God wanted to do. And so there's a challenge inside of that. And in the section of text preceding Isaiah 6, I, I don't know, yeah, I'm on the right one. In the section of text preceding Isaiah 6, the prophet offered several different woes. You can read about these on your own at home. But the use of the woe was prophetic lingo for a curse or a doom against whoever it was uttered. If you read that scripture, you will see that there's many woes that God begins to proclaim. But the opposite of a woe is best demonstrated by the term blessed. There are woes and there are blessings in the kingdom of God. Let me give you a New Testament example of this. Jesus used blessed in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 where he said blessed, blessed, blessed over and over and over again. But then he used the word woe when he proclaimed judgment against the scribes and the Pharisees. You can get the blessing or you can have the woe in these particular circumstances. And so strikingly, when Isaiah experienced the catastrophic events of the temple vision, he announced a new woe. And this was a woe upon himself. It wasn't a woe towards the nation. It wasn't a woe for what the people had done, but he was pronouncing a woe unto himself. That's a challenging thing when you begin to think about it because we come to the house of God and we say, man, I want to be blessed by God. 
I want to feel his blessings. I want to just feel so refreshed. I want to feel the presence of God inside of my life so strongly after this service, just blessing after blessing after blessing. And believe me, God will absolutely do that and he will pour those things upon us. But none of us usually come into the house of God and say, God, woe is me. I, I don't, you know, this, this stuff just it shouldn't be upon me. I like it, you know, I've messed this up so terribly bad. I don't deserve any of these things. Don't give me these blessings. Woe upon me. But Isaiah did exactly that in saying, God, not only have these people messed up, but I haven't done my job to participate with you. Not only did Isaiah equate himself with a woe, but he also stated that he was undone. In other translations, he used words that he was doomed or ruined in place of being undone. Isaiah was saying to God that he was doomed or that he was ruined as a result of this turmoil that was happening in this country, as a result of everything that was going on around him. Besides being undone, Isaiah cited another reason for his woeful utterance, which was uncleanness. Isaiah said that his lips were unclean, and the lips of the people were also unclean. Lips, an essential instrument for speaking, were key to a prophet's calling. So when Isaiah said that his lips were unclean, he was saying that he was inappropriate for his prophetic ministry. He was saying, God, I am not called to do this any longer. My lips are not meant to begin to speak the things that you desire for me to speak. You can see the burden that was beginning to be laid upon Isaiah. And to top it all off, Isaiah revealed that the feelings of hopeless and his recognition of his uncleanness were triggered by one thing, seeing the King, the Lord of hosts. That he was in a place where he said, God, you are so holy, you are so mighty, there is no way that I could ever deserve what you have given to me. God, you are in this place on this throne that I can't do what I'm called to do anymore because I am just not qualified anymore. There was a hopelessness that was inside of his life. It's a hopelessness that we see so often in our world around us that people begin to say, man, I am hopeless, I am unclean. I have messed up so terribly bad inside of my life that God will never love me. He will never forgive me for my sins. He will never move these things about inside of my life. We see it over and over again, and I've spoken about it inside of the law enforcement community that there's this idea that once somebody's involved in a certain part of, of, of life or an addiction that they are never going to be free or delivered from that. And by putting that upon people, we are telling them that you are so unclean that you can never be forgiven or never escape from that, that by these sentences and things that we put upon people's lives, we say, man, you, you just can't ever be clean from that and get rid of those addictions and those things that are around you. But we know as apostolics that there is something that is different inside of that, Amen. that God desires people who have been unclean. He desires people who have done things wrong and messed stuff up inside of their life. Because as soon as we walk in these doors and we decide that we're going to go to the baptismal tank and go down inside of that tank, we come out and every single thing that is in our past is completely washed away. So no longer do we have to say, woe is me, I am unclean, I cannot serve the Lord God of hosts. But we can say, I went down in the water and I am freely delivered from those things that have been around me. And I can rejoice inside of that. We don't have to say, woe is me, I can't be called to teach Bible studies. But we can say, God, you have cleansed me from my past 
past, and now I am going to teach people to bring them out of similar situations in Jesus' name. We can begin to change those thoughts around, but we must humble ourselves before God and say, God, it's about you. It's about what you can do. I'm not the one that can cleanse my sins, but God, you are the one that can dismiss all these things around me in Jesus' name. And so Isaiah, he saw God's holiness in this moment. And it was in that moment that Isaiah was forced to exchange his ideas about God for the ideas or for who God actually was. Isaiah had to put himself in a place where he said, my thinking is not the best thinking, but God's thinking is what I desire to have inside of my mind and my life. His desires are what I desire to have inside of my life. We are all required to do this inside of our lives, to say, God, it's not about me or what I think. It's not about my desires inside of this life. It's not about what I have brought to the table, God, but it is absolutely about who you are and what you can do. God, reveal to me who you truly are. I think if you all are like me, you have went through circumstances where you thought God was going to work a certain way. And you step into that circumstance, and all of a sudden, God completely changes it about. I mean, it doesn't make sense to me that, that you know, like, that, that, that we use, uh, you know, we get filled with his spirit, and we begin to speak in other tongues. I don't know exactly how that calculates. I don't know exactly how the water that people get baptized into washes away all of their sins. But what I do know is that those are God's ways. Those are his ways inside of scripture and what he desires for every single person. So we must begin to adapt this idea that maybe we have been hitting a brick wall because we have been trying to do it our way for far too long. And it's time to say, God, reveal to me what I need to do to begin to work in your kingdom and how you desire for me to be used. Isaiah not only learned who God was, but he learned who he was as a person as a result of finding who God was in the midst of those times. And it's a world, it's a thing in our world. We see the loneliness that is out there. People who don't understand who they are, people who are changing their sexes and going all over the place in, in various ministries. It's just so wild when you begin to think about what is inside of our world. But we see people who need to see God so that they can understand who they are and what they were meant to be. That God did not desire for them to stay depressed their entire lives or inside of situations or circumstances that are trying to bring them down. But God desired for them to see joy and peace. God desired for them to be freed. And it is our responsibility to go to this world and proclaim that Jesus Christ to this world around us in Jesus' name. Can we lift our hands tonight and begin to pray for that? I feel that we just need to let that settle upon us. God, we desire to see you in this place, Lord. We desire to see who you are, God, so that we understand who we are and the power and the ability that you have given to us, God. I pray that this message would go forward to this community, God, that it would touch somebody, God, around us that may have been lost, God, confused what the world has told them, Lord. And God, I pray that you would reveal 
reveal yourself to them. Take their scales off their eyes, God, and begin to show them your glory and who you truly are. I believe tonight that every person in this room, God, that you will begin to show and reveal to them who you are, God, so that we can walk forward with a passionate step, God, understanding that there is power and authority behind who we are, Jesus. Let it be upon every person in this place tonight. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen and amen. I believe that tonight. I believe that authority tonight. That somebody, I know I'm going a little bit off the notes here, but somebody is going to walk out of here believing in the authority of God behind your life. That you have the power to rise above sins. That it is okay to speak in tongues. It is okay to dance in this church and dance inside of your household. It is okay to let scripture flow inside of your car when you're driving down the road or to speak to your coworkers about God and let his presence begin to move. That is the power and the desire that he wants inside of us. And you can see when we begin to take our idea off of saying, well, what if they say something nasty to me? Or what if this happens? Or what if this happens? Instead, we say, God, I believe in your powerful name that I can walk in here and if somebody needs prayer for a healing, I can pray for them to be healed in Jesus' name. If somebody needs delivered, I can speak to them about the deliverance and the power that is inside of that. That is the authority that God has given to us and the authority that he wants to reveal to you tonight that you are marked for his calling. He has put a purpose upon your life. He knows your name. He knows where you are at right now. He understands your circumstances. And believe me, he is ready to use you in every atmosphere that you step into in this world. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We only really will know ourselves in relation to God. We're only going to know who we truly can be if we understand who God is. I don't think we would understand laying hands on somebody and seeing them healed if we did not understand God and who he was. I know that we will never be able to understand all of God's methods and his his greatness. I mean, we can't even comprehend eternity and how he created something like that. But what we can comprehend is his promises that he has put inside of scripture and he has told us these are the things that are going to follow you as an apostolic believer. These are the things that you can see happen in your life around you. We are created in his image and his fingerprints are literally upon every single one of us in this room and every single person on the live stream tonight. Whether somebody wants to completely deny that, they can go ahead and do that. But I'm still going to see the presence, the fingerprints of God that are alive inside of that person's life in Jesus' name. So we understand that he has given us the ability to create. We're created in his image. He created the world. He created us. And we are the only thing on this planet that has been given this ability to create so many incredible things. We see artists, inventors, authors, architects, musicians, performers, directors, and so many other creators in the world. So the answer to the question of why is essential to human life, and the answer may only be fully revealed in God. I remember a funeral that we attended up in Montana We were inside of the service where a 14-year-old boy had died as a result of his dad rolling his truck. And his dad was just awestruck. And we sat there questioning why this kid was powerful. He was laying hands on people. He was praying for people, seeing miracles happen, things around. He was an incredible person. So we went to the service and many of us had the question of why God 
that this child not even be able to live to the time when we could see something happen with his life. But as we were there, the preacher began to step up and he said, I have a pocket full of whys that will never be answered until I get to the gate. And when I get to that gate, I will probably not even remember those questions as to why certain things happen. But I remember in that circumstance that there were numerous people in that service who had never attended an apostolic service. And God began to fill people with the gift of the Holy Ghost in the midst of a funeral service who may have never found God if it hadn't been for that young man in that tragic situation. So our ideas may not comprehend with what God wants to do but we understand that we are marked for a calling in his kingdom. Upon seeing God, Isaiah understood his own uncleanliness and and, and that he was undone, ruined, broken, and uh, deficient. We see that he was in this place. A brief overview of biblical characters indicates that this wasn't the first time this had occurred inside of the Bible. God told Abraham that he would be the father of many nations, but he and his wife were childless and unfertile. God told Moses to speak to Pharaoh, but Moses spoke poorly. God had Samuel anoint David as king, but David was a young boy. We give our explanations for why we cannot be of service to God, but he is not concerned with our explanation. He removes our doubts and our excuses by anointing us for a special task. Does anybody believe that here tonight, that he has anointed us for a special task, that he has called you for a special task tonight in Jesus' name? Let's lift our hands again in Jesus' name. God, I'm believing that you are putting that calling upon lives tonight and revealing your fingerprints are all over these families that are here, God. I believe that you will begin to encourage them in their calling, God, where they are meant to go, what they are meant to reach, God, and what they are meant to do, God, that it is no longer about our excuses and what we can or cannot do, God, but it is absolutely about your authority and the power that you have put behind every single person in this room tonight, God. I am thankful, Lord, that you have called us people who are unworthy of what you have, God, people who have not done the best, God, but I know through your authority, Jesus, that you are calling every person that is in this room tonight in Jesus' name, God. Let it be, let it fall upon them and let them not be discouraged by anything around them in this world in Jesus wonderful name in Jesus wonderful name hallelujah let's give God some praise and some thanks for that hallelujah we praise your mighty name God we praise your mighty name God Mm. thank you Jesus thank you Jesus Mm. hallelujah hallelujah God has called every one of you for a special task. If you're sitting here tonight, I just want to take a a quick commercial. If you're sitting here tonight and saying, I don't know what God has called me to, I don't know what my special task is, where God desires for me to be, 
then I would encourage you next week, the week of prayer and fasting, to begin to pray and fast and seek God's face for that. That is why that is so important because God will begin to reveal that to you. He will begin to show that to you and then you can approach our pastor and say, Pastor, I believe God has given me a burden and a passion for this particular calling. What, what, what do you think about it? And the pastor will begin to pray with you and begin to help you seek that calling of God upon your life and believe me, God will begin to enact those things that he desires for you. And so we see that even after all these other men, that Isaiah had this similar experience in his temple vision. He began to say this in Isaiah 6 and 7. He said, this has touched my lips, or this, or the angel has said, this has touched your lips and thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin it is being purged. For most of us, we think about a hot coal being pushed on somebody's lips and we think of pain and how painful that must have been at that particular point. But what we don't understand is that back in the day, this was a typical healing practice to heal wounds that were open. Heated metal, coals, or other instruments were often used to close wounds and prevent infection. This process is called carterizing or beginning to heal something that needs to be healed. It, it, it took place during these times. It's the idea and the fact, it says in, in, in our notes here, that God and the angel recognized that there was a wound that was inside of Isaiah, and after this process, that wound was healed. It's significant because this angel, his statements begins to leave us some clues as to how this wound had occurred inside of Isaiah. And I want to remind you, Isaiah is this guy who wrote this incredible book inside of the Bible, somebody who was a prophet and somebody who, if he walked in this room, we would think, man, that is a man of God and an incredible person. This is Isaiah, this prophet that has a wound inside of his life that God has to touch. So just because you have a wound in your life or because you get a wound in your future, it does not mean that you are something that is insignificant to the kingdom of God. Because we look at this story and see what happened here, we see that the angel revealed that Isaiah's sin was purged and his iniquity was taken away. Sin here referred to the erroneous actions, behaviors, and choices he had made. These were purged from him by this healing act. Not only that, but iniquity represented a Hebrew word that carries an idea of something being bent or twisted within a person and how that person saw the world. So iniquity being taken away from Isaiah meant something inside of him was off. His thinking was off. His thoughts were off. And this interfered with his prophetic calling that God had placed upon his life. There was something there where his thinking was not exactly right. But we begin to see that this hot coal was pressed upon his lips and these things were taken from him. It sounds pretty similar to some things that we go through today, doesn't it? that we come into an apostolic church, at first we might think it's absolutely crazy and we don't know what to do in the midst of that service. But then we begin to understand that worshiping God, there's something deeper inside of that service. We begin to see that there's a calling upon our lives to get baptized in Jesus' name. And we go to that tank and we're baptized in Jesus' name and God wipes away every single sin that we have inside of our lives. But it doesn't stop there. 
Then we come back into the apostolic atmosphere and we begin to lift our hands and worship God. And as he fills us with his spirit, we begin to speak in another language that we don't necessarily understand, but God is moving through us. We speak in this other tongue and God begins to take that mindset or those ideas that might have been twisted or messed up before, no matter how long it took us to get into the kingdom of God. And he begins to take that and transform that when he fills us with the gift of his Holy Ghost. Sometimes we may think, man, it's going to hurt a little bit to begin to remove this from my life or to change this about in my thinking or my thought process. It might hurt my relationships with my friends because they may not understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. They may begin to accuse me of being too holy for them and all these other things, but that does not matter. What matters is we listen to God. And if we have a wound inside of us, we let God begin to cauterize that wound and take care of that. It may be painful and it may be hurtful to get down on our knees and say, God, I have messed something up so terribly bad today. I I don't know why I did it, but God, I need this wound healed inside of me. It may hurt when we begin to mess up with somebody else and we walk away and we say, God, I hurt that person terribly bad. Will you please heal this wound and let it be mended? It begins to to cause some, some issues where it might hurt us a little bit to walk up to that person and say, brother, I am so sorry for what I have done to cause that issue between us. It may begin to hurt a little bit but what it begins to do is cauterize a wound that needs to be healed it begins to put us in a position where twisted thoughts can begin to be mended to become part of the scripture and what it truly is that's why i say i encourage you to get into the word daily I encourage you to be in a place where you know the presence of God daily and understand his truths there because it will help you when those twisted thoughts begin to come up in the world around us. It's the only solid rock that we can stand upon, the only firm foundation that has not been twisted over years and years of time. Tonight, God has a calling upon your life. And even after accepting that calling upon your life, You could be like Isaiah in a particular moment saying, God, I have messed something up terribly bad. Woe is me. I don't know what to do. Isaiah was willing to admit this and as a result, we see this changed around in his life because God was willing to heal him. Isaiah's iniquity or crookedness was that he uttered woes denouncing other nations and wickedness, but he failed to understand his own wickedness. From this, we learn that to understand and address the sinfulness in others, we must first understand and address the sinfulness within ourselves. I have always just had a major issue sometimes with those people who decide to become the Pentecostal police. Now, I'm going to walk around and tell everybody how they're doing it wrong and all this sort of stuff when that is not our place at all. That is a place for God and a place for God alone. That's a place where maybe our pastor would begin to step in with the authority of God at that particular moment. But for the rest of us, we just need to focus on the sins that are inside of our lives. And I don't know about you all, but I don't have time to focus on other people's sins because I have enough work to do here inside of me. I have enough things to correct inside of who I am before I could even begin to say things to other people and say, man, maybe this is what God is considering for you or, 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 or these things here. It's what we must begin to challenge inside of our workplaces, inside of our lives, that we make a stern stand for who we are as apostolics, knowing that if God has marked me for a calling, I'm no longer meant to listen to certain things, 
to be involved in certain areas inside of the workplace. I'm no longer meant to dress a certain way, but I'm going to begin to live unto God who is holy. Like Isaiah began to see him there inside of that kingdom, we see him in that same sense, and we desire to draw closer to him by becoming holy in his kingdom. Isaiah 6 and 8, that verse that we so well know, who shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah responded, here I am, send me. And I hope that scripture has some more significance for you tonight. I hope that we see what it took to get to that place where Isaiah could say, here I am, God, send me. It took healing wounds, took painful times, it took particular places that, that were going to upset others around him, but it took these, going through these things for him to be able to say, here I am, God, send me. I read a powerful statement, and I kind of debate saying it across the platform in an open area like this, just because of the strength and the ability that is behind it. But you look at Peter, somebody who Jesus called Satan, and Peter, how he took that, and he adapted his life to it and said, I'm going to do better and eight chapters later, you see him in a particular, uh, in the book of Acts, where he is in a particular place where he is preaching the first message on the day of Pentecost, where the Holy Ghost is falling upon people, and many different people are receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. Peter could have went and boo-hooed in the corner and said, God, that hurt too much. I, I can't take this anymore. I'm done with the church. I'm going to somewhere that's easier. But Judas is the exact opposite of that, that we see that Jesus called him out as well, so he went to a place where he could make more money, a place where it was easier for him to live out the way that he wanted to live things out. And we see that just a few chapters later, he's hanging from a tree. It's terrible. It's what can happen to us spiritually if we begin to decide, man, I'm going to neglect what God has told me. If God tells you something stern, please don't neglect him. If God tells you something stern inside of this church, please don't neglect it and just push it away and say that somebody's just trying to be mean to me and hurtful to me. But instead, begin to face God like Isaiah did and say, God, if there's something that I need to work on, show me. Help me to see it, God. I want to be closer to you. I want to change my life around because I am marked for a calling and if we are going to be truly called by God, then we must be able to face some harder times inside of our lives. We must be able to face the times when people say things to us and they tell us, man, maybe you didn't do exactly what you should have done in that moment. And we must take those to God and say, God, change me. Help me to become better in the calling that you have given to me. Amen. So God, the God Isaiah met, is the same God that we know here today, and he has not changed. He desires to do these same things for you tonight. That third point that I skipped over at the beginning of this is what I'll conclude with before reading this final few scriptures. It says, when Isaiah described God, he noted that God was sitting on that throne. God was sitting on that throne that was inside of that temple. A spirit cannot sit. We all know that God is a spirit, amen? He is a spirit. A spirit cannot sit. One must have a body in order to sit. What's happening here is Jesus gave Isaiah his commission and equipped him for the task. The same Jesus 
works in Christian believers willing to emulate Isaiah's example by owning their brokenness and being aided beyond human ability by God's power. Think about that. The same Jesus that we just celebrated on Easter for delivering all of our sins in Jesus' name, he's the one I was speaking to Isaiah at that moment. It's God in the flesh. We see him again with the Hebrew children, that they're in that place, and man, a resemblance of Jesus. It's like the Son of God dancing around inside of there. Jesus was alive and well. God was alive and well during these times. But the Spirit, obviously, we can't see it. It comes and goes as the wind. It's difficult to see around us. But Jesus is God in the flesh, the thing that we can see and begin to resemble. So the same Jesus that gave Isaiah his calling and said, you can do this, Isaiah. You might have messed things up inside of your life, but you can do this. You're equipped to do this. You have the tools to make this happen. That is the same God that is standing here before you today saying you can do this. You have the ability and the authority to do this. Can you feel that presence in this place tonight? Can you feel just sitting there where Isaiah was at and seeing Jesus on that throne that right now, sitting here in this place, we can see that as well, that Jesus is here calling us, marking us for his ability, healing wounds that are inside of us, delivering things around us. Can you feel that great and wonderful presence in this place? My goodness, let's, let's just raise our hands and touch that a little bit tonight, God. Lord, we see you in this place, God. And I absolutely believe that the same thing that you did to Isaiah, an incredible prophet, God, that you will do for every single person in this room, God, that wounds that may have been exposed tonight, God, hurts that may be beginning to fester inside of our lives, God, that you will take care of them, God. It may hurt, but God, you will heal and you will mend, God. You will take us back into that place where we know and understand your truth and your word, God, the power that is behind your name, God, as an omnipresent God that is all over wherever we might be, God. I am believing, God, that you are healing and mending addictions inside of this place and on the live stream, God. I'm believing that you are taking care of those wounds that has held us back far too long from the calling inside of our lives, God. I'm beginning to believe that you are revealing tasks inside of people's lives, God, of their calling and what they are meant to do in this atmosphere around us. I thank you, Jesus, for showing up here, God, for being in the midst of us, God, unworthy people. I thank you for being here and showing and demonstrating to us in so many different ways. In Jesus' wonderful, wonderful name, amen and amen. What a powerful God we serve. I want to conclude this by reading this, when I attended Gateway College of Evangelism, we had a student-led evening serving, or service every Wednesday in the college chapel. One evening, a professor had brought a vase as an object lesson for his sermon. And during that sermon, the professor accidentally knocked the vase to the ground, shattering it into several pieces. One student offered to clean up the mess, and the professor wrote the vase off as destroyed and expected the remains to be thrown in the trash. The following week, the student returned, having repaired the vase with superglue. The student placed a lamp at the front of the chapel and placed the shattered vase over the small, simple light fixture. The result was truly stunning. 
You could see the shafts of light flowing all over the massive chapel. Each break in the vase displayed a unique shaft for the light to escape the vase. The professor who initially broke the vase stood and read 2 Corinthians 4 and 7. It says, we now have this light shining inside of our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. Putting great treasure in a fragile clay jar seems foolish, for some treasure may arouse images of pirate treasure locked and buried underground. However, God puts treasures in fragile clay pots inside of our human bodies. These are the vessels to which God puts great treasure. As the clay pots are used in daily activities, they chip away, break, and crack, and we are called to effectively present Jesus to those we encounter. In our broken places, others will see the treasure, the light of God's glorious gospel. We may try to hide our broken places, our flaws, our imperfections, so we can present the image of a perfect Christian. However, through these broken places, we so often try to hide. It's the light of the gospel that is clearly seen by people around us. Don't try to hide your flaws or the brokenness inside of your life, but let God heal that and let him shine through in the world around you in Jesus' name. One more time, can we stand? And let's just again pray that this would solidify inside of our hearts and that God would absolutely touch every single person who has heard this message in Jesus' name.